This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Politically Homeless, a safe place for thought crimes. Hope everybody's doing well today. Deal in the week. I'm about to head to Utah for about four or five days, do a little camping out in the uh, the beautiful landscape that is Mormon land. I'm excited about it. Going to go to Moab, you know, drive around the wilderness and the desert, see some cool rocks, sleep in a rooftop tent, just... Live the dream, you know. Just unplug for a minute. Give my. Don't, I want to. I'm glad I won't have the option to like be on Instagram for a little while. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. Watch the Mortal Kombat movie, the new Mortal Kombat movie uh, this week. It was pretty cool. It was. It was all right. Um, the acting was subpar, and there was a lot of plot holes. But it's a video game movie. It's a movie about a video game that I played when I was a small child. I think that Mortal Kombat was my first exposure to real video game violence. And, you know, I think that we, we hear this argument a lot about video game violence being a catalyst for real world violence. And I would love to see a study done um, on the effect that video games have on police officers because... Just down the road from my house, a couple of police officers um, beat the shit out of a 70-year-old woman with dementia who stole $13 worth of stuff from Walmart. They dislocated her shoulder, fractured her arm, and then left her in a cell for six hours without medical attention. But it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. Security. They made sure their body cams were off for this part, but the security camera inside of the jail or wherever the the police officers were, uh, showed them reviewing the body footage and laughing. Laughing. He was saying things like, all right, you ready for the pop? Here comes the pop. As he dislocates the woman's shoulder, a 73-year-old woman with dementia who walked out of Walmart with $13.11 worth of goods. And then she was caught by the Walmart employees. She offered to pay for it. They said no. They took the stuff back, and then she was walking home. And then she was assaulted by police. I think this was in Loveland, Colorado. Maybe those motherfuckers need to not play Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it was the kids, you know, watching uh, Power Rangers and doing karate that were really the problem. I think that the 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 way that we address violence probably needs to be focused on the cops. Because I don't foresee a 30 year, 30, or 73, excuse me, 73-year-old woman with dementia being a threat to society that needs to be violently handled. Especially for shoplifting from Walmart. But I will tell you that the Waltons, the Waltons thank you for your service, officer. And there was one that was really leading the way here. The woman, that, there was a man that was really enjoying this. He asked, he asked the female officer that was with him, why... Um, why she didn't slam the door on the lady. That was something he said. Why didn't you slam the door on her? And the lady says, uh, the police officer, the female police officer said, well, her legs were in the way. Her legs were in the way. He goes, so do it anyways. What, what, 
What? Now we're not, we're not going to cover it and play the body footage. I, I honestly, I have a hard time covering any more like police being asshole stories um, on here. But it was worth noting, worth bringing up that you know this this guy thinks that he's Raiden from from Mortal Kombat and is out like you know LARPing with old women, just beating the shit out of old women with dementia. That's what this guy is doing. And now the woman is white, so we won't hear about it elsewhere. But go look the story up. Go look the story up. Go watch the footage. A cop in Loveland, Colorado, a small town, or Littleton. It was Littleton or Loveland. One or the other. Just assaulting the shit out of an old lady. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just think, picture in your head right now, a 73-year-old lady with dementia. And now think about the kind of person. What would you have to think, feel, believe? What kind of person would you need to be to physically assault a 73-year-old woman? Now, if you realize the situation, and we're going to talk a lot about realizing what was going on in the situation on today's show, but if you realize the situation, like, hey, this lady's clearly not all there. Um, she's elderly. Um, she clearly has some cognitive decline in the interaction. And know that the, the, the things that she tried to shoplift she was not successful. It was not a successful uh, heist of $13 worth of goods from Walmart. Maybe the appropriate thing to do is make sure the woman was okay and give her a ride home. Give her a ride home because it's $13 of shit from Walmart and who actually fucking cares? Who really gives a shit? Are you protecting your community by by assaulting some woman who shoplifted $13 of stuff from Walmart or $13,000 of stuff from Walmart? Really? I I think that Walmart's going to be okay. And if this can be chalked up, there's even a reasonable doubt that this woman may have just forgot to pay because she has fucking dementia. Maybe there's a different way to approach that kind of thing, but that's what police in small towns do. And we talk a lot about police in general, but having had random encounters with police in small town, like where I grew up, they're high school heroes that were generally uh, bullied. A lot of them, it was funny because like my mom aunts, like people in my family went to high school with the kids that became cops and they were exclusively pieces of shit and bullies or nerds. It was kind of this weird thing where like the police department was where the bullies and the nerds could finally find some common ground and that they had some kind of um, resentment for society. That's small town police officers. And, And that's not exclusively, but generally speaking, Especially when I was there. Now, I think there's about three times as many police officers in my hometown as there were whenever I was there. Um, And a substantial amount of taxpayer money goes to funding police officers in a town that has very little crime and very few people. 9,000 people. And about 2,000 of those are police officers. Um, To just arrest addicts. Because there's a meth problem. Just arresting addicts. That's it. That's what they do. Really doing the Lord's work there, guys. Really crushing it. Just beating the shit out of old women. Playing out your Mortal Kombat fantasies. What does somebody like that do? Like, what do you have to do to get there? I just don't understand. But I can tell you this. If you would like to get to the Patreon community, you can click the link in the show notes and join the Politically Homeless Patreon. It's affordable, it's reasonable, and it's a great way to support creators like me. Patreon is a great platform. I love it over there. We have an awesome community, and we do an extra show every week that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. It's fun. I love diving into topics that people present to me, and I don't really turn them down. 
Well, there hasn't been anything out there that was too <laughs> too crazy that I turned it down. Um, and it may sometimes requires a day of research just to get into a topic that somebody wants to discuss that maybe I'm not informed on. And I like to be fully informed or at least partially informed before I start rambling about something. But it's a great time. It's a great time. The Politically Homeless Patreon is a great way to support this show, make this show viable. You get ad-free episodes. Every episode is ad-free. Sometimes these episodes have ads. Sometimes they don't. But you're guaranteed to have ad-free content Always, always. And I'm flirting with the idea of bringing back the interview show. So if you don't know, if you're new here and you didn't realize that I've been podcasting for like ever, for the first five years of my podcast life, I did interviews around personal development and things of that nature and psychology and fun stuff. Now I talk about the the darkness of humanity, but here we are. That's what I used to do. And I want to bring back conversations. So working that out right now, as well as the merch, things are moving, things are going, but you get first dibs on all of that stuff and ad-free episodes from whatever content that I create. All of it will live in the Patreon community by going to politically or going to patreon.com slash politically homeless. Click the link, click the link in the show notes, get in there, get your private podcast feed that is ad-free with those bonus episodes every week and better yet, get involved in the conversation and help shape the content with your interest in the topics that you want to hear about. Also, a great way to support the show is by reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is about to make a bunch of new changes, but you can still review shows. So go to the little button that says, like, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Do it. And if you have any thoughts for me in there or any questions you want to ask, leave them in the comment. Leave them in the, leave them in the review, and I'll get to them on the show maybe. We'll see what happens. But just air out your thoughts. Within the within the uh, within the reviews on Apple Podcasts, really appreciate that. That helps a ton. Oh, rambling about cops and shamelessly plugging all my stuff. It's a great way to start the show. Now it's time for the state of things. Let's get into it. Okay, some fun stuff here. Biden to propose capital gains tax of 39.6% to fund education and child care, reports say. We got CNBC here, the leader in financial news. Um, what we got? So Biden will seek to raise taxes on millionaire investors to fund education and other spending priorities as part of an effort to overhaul the U.S. economy. Biden will seek an increase in the tax on capital gains to 39.6% for those Americans earning more than $1 million, according to reports. And that's $1 million total not uh, per year, not $1 million in capital gains. That was something people were a little bit confused about. But if your income for a given year is over $1 million, that's when this applies. Reports say the president will ex- is expected to release the proposal formally next week as a way to fund an upcoming American families plan. So we got plans. Biden's got trillions of dollars of plans everywhere. Let's get into a little bit of this and then we'll discuss. President Joe Biden will seek to raise taxes on millionaire investors to fund education, yada, yada, yada. As part of the plan, Biden will seek an increase in the capital gains tax to 39.6% from 20% for those Americans earning more than $1 million. 
go to do to do the capital gains is especially important to wall street since it dictates how large a chunk of equity sales is collected by the federal government. The white house has declined to comment stocks slid on the news about the plan with the S and P 500 index down 1% as of 2:14 PM after climbing 0.2% earlier, the Dow Jones industrial average and NASDAQ composite both retreated by a similar magnitude. The proposal would make a uh, make good on Biden's campaign promise to acquire or to require America's wealthiest households to contribute more of a percentage of their income. This plan would bring the capital gains tax rate and the top individual income rate currently at 37% to near uh, parity. So what we're looking at here is essentially what the way they're looking at this is taxing income as income, whether it's capital gains or anything else and creating a level playing field as far as that goes. This gets kind of sketchy though. And I don't know if there's a slippery slope here or whatever. I think if your income is over $1 million and I'm not an economist, but I'm just trying to like pontificate about this whole thing. When I look at the best ways that the government can raise revenue, if that's indeed what needs to happen, we can look at enforcement on the wealthiest of the citizens of the United States, right? If you enforce the current tax code, which is egregiously underreported, especially by wealthy people because they have teams to knock this thing out and like dance around it and use the loopholes. If you enforce it, you have an in, uh, a one to six ratio. Every dollar spent on enforcement yields six or $7. So you have about a 600% return on investment just on enforcement. And Biden has talked about doing that as well. That comes out to about $175 billion a year, just based on enforcement investment. So that's a great place to start. Now this is brought about because of the predatory nature of our of our, of our financial God, I can't talk of our financial system. So, you have things like 2008 Occupy Wall Street. I mean, now things have changed because instead of picketing outside of Chase Bank, uh, Chase Bank is making rainbow floats for the Pride Parade. So they've they've essentially said, hey, we're gonna like, you know, uh, um really support your identity politics game and be very friendly to the LGBT plus community. Um, just don't look at like what we're actually doing on the back end if we're Wells Fargo or Chase Bank or yada, yada, yada. And it's gotten to be a, a virtue signaling as a way, as a smokescreen to hide any kind of financial malfeasance, right? So that's that's been really sketchy. And there's a ton of resentment around the way that our financial system has worked. I don't think increasing taxes is necessarily a bad thing. But when you listen to people who are educated on this, discuss this, the idea with this is you kind of have this um, archetype, archetypal figure in Jeff Bezos, right? Jeff Bezos, supposedly the richest man in the world, which is not necessarily true at all, but in the public's eye, the richest man in the world, um, you know, you have Warren Buffett saying things like he pays less taxes than his secretary, which I believe is true because of the way that these loopholes work. I really get frustrated when the, when the, when the, when the method of change is increasing the tax rate and not increasing enforcement and closing loopholes. In my opinion, and we saw the same thing with the corporate tax rate going up to something like 30% or whatever it was, 35%. It's, it's hard to look at that and say, well, yeah, but like Amazon is not going to be affected by this. Like there are certain companies like Walmart who are lobbying for that increase because it only hurts medium to small businesses, right? If you have the way that depreciation works and write-offs work, if you, you can manipulate and not pay any taxes, whereas what if we decrease the corporate tax to 15% 
and made it way harder to manipulate that and close loopholes to where it's actually a real tax rate. It's not some kind of like complicated, really nefarious um, system that's been lobbied to death. It's become this confusing thing where you need a team of lawyers and, and, and accountants to even make it make sense. Right. And the people that can afford to do that take advantage and the companies that can't end up paying that actual tax rate. And they end up holding the bag whenever gigantic companies like Amazon and Walmart don't end up being held accountable for their end of the bargain. And yet that rightfully so frustrates the shit out of people. It frustrates the shit out of me. But I think the I think the answer being increasing tax rates while not changing the tax code is short-sighted and not increasing enforcement, again, is a, is a huge waste. So increasing enforcement and making the tax code much simpler, making it much simpler, like this ta- capital gain situation, capital gains in general is very, it, it seems like it attacks people who are the wealthiest and that are, are making money on financial speculation, which is true. But I'm in a situation now, like with, with the home that we own here, where we have to hold on to it for more than two years, or we could be taxed 40% on selling our home. 40% or more for selling a home within two years of purchasing it. What does that have to do with anything? Like, why is that? Why would we be punished here for selling a home because we want to move, or maybe financial things changed, or maybe you have a child and you need a bigger space? Like, all, all manner of things could happen that have nothing to do with manipulating markets or, take, or taking advantage of anybody. But still, you have to adhere to a system that is built for built to punish the people that can afford to avoid the system while you're sitting here kind of, hold, again, holding the bag or being stuck in a, a, a really shitty situation because of no fault of your own and you have no nefarious intentions. Like, this is a really strange situation. And I think when you look at this, and I could be wrong here, but if you're making, if you're making in income over a million dollars a year, then it would seem like what you would do before this gets implemented is sell off as much as you need to, to float yourself for the next three years, right? And then just don't sell any more of your assets. Like just slow down on selling assets, decreasing the tax revenue, right? So if you're making that much money, and I don't know what percentage, it depends on what percentage of that comes from actual tax capital gains. And if you're in the real estate game, that's a whole different deal. But when you look at it like this, we have a really strange situation where the people that they're trying to target also have the resources to avoid this type of tax. So I don't foresee this being a net positive at all. I think there were way better uses of resources in, if, if your goal is increasing revenue. And on top of that, I would love to hear a president or a politician talk about diverting wasteful spending, reevaluating where that's going, and putting it towards whatever your jobs plan or family's plan is. Instead of just increasing revenue, maybe increasing revenue should be the last case scenario, right? Or be, be the last thing you go to, right? Like what other ways can we find the money to invest in this? Maybe we skip, spend less money uh, buying shit from Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. Maybe we do that to finance this instead of taxing people. Maybe that's a better way to go about it. Maybe we should end some of these wars. Maybe we don't need 800 military bases around the world. It seems pretty simple to me, right? Like maybe we should reevaluate what our priorities are now because we're in a new world compared to where we were in 2001 when 9-11 happened, 
right? But we can compare ourselves to that reality as if this, that's still the reality now when we have all this investment into things like domestic surveillance, right? And the Pentagon gets nearly a trillion dollars a year. But the biggest threat on their radar is, is domestic terrorism. So now they have the media machine that's responsible for selling you that idea. It, it, so it's, it's a strange situation we find ourselves in where it seems like the conversation of diverting spending from something that maybe made sense 20, 30 years ago into something where it makes sense now um, never really breaches the surface. Like We don't ever get to have that debate or that dialogue, and I don't understand why that's never part of the conversation. I don't think having the wealthiest people in the world be taxed is a problem by any means. And I don't think raising the cap to capital gains is necessarily a problem, but it needs to be paired with things that actually enforce that tax rate or else you're just punishing the people who are actually the creators, right? And I would say, you know, a million dollars a year is a lot of money. But I think if you're in that, you know, where you're making a million or 1.2 million a year, you're in that echelon of, of wealthy where you're actually creating jobs. I really do believe that. And I, I'm not a believer in trickle-down economics at all. But, I mean, if you're in the place where you're making, you know, a billion a year or 500 million, like if you're in that, like, uber stupid amount of money, like billionaire status, yeah, I can see that being quite a quite an issue. But that, that's a different deal where the majority of that money is coming from capital gains versus the people that are in that kind of middle wealthy where it's, and I know, a million dollars a year, like I said, is a lot of money. But those are the people that are going to get hammered by this, not the Jeff Bezoses, not the Elon Musks, right? Elon doesn't liquidate his, his assets very often, right? So he has all this, all his wealth is tied up into Tesla and SpaceX and his companies. He doesn't liquidate that. I think Jeff Bezos does sell off like a billion dollars in Amazon stock a year to kind of float his lifestyle. I've heard that, but he could also just stop doing that. Like there's ways to avoid this. So it, the, the, the target of this, like that AOC is always complaining about and Bernie Sanders is always railing against, which I understand they're not going to be the ones that are hit by this, right? And it is weird that somebody working in finance or, or, or using Wall Street speculation as their primary source of income and that is making the same amount of money as a doctor actually gets taxed less than the doctor. That's a problem. I can objectively say that a doctor adds more value to society than a finance bro, Okay. But we need to be we need to be really mindful about how we're approaching this. Just because it sounds good, like tax the rich, eat the rich, this whole thing, right? I get it. I get it because we've been fucked over by these people. And also they're the biggest job creators. Like both things can be true at the same time. And I think the people that are in the world where they're making a million dollars a year are right over the cusp of that are probably some of the most productive members of society when it comes to job creation and having these medium, medium sized businesses. And I know it sounds weird to say a million dollars a year is, is somebody who created a medium sized business, but that's the reality of the situation. And I just don't know what, what actual value this will bring. Time will tell, but I know that right now stock market's sliding, which is again, the stock market is a chart of rich people's feelings. Like it's not, it'll come back. You know, I lost my ass in Spotify today, but it'll be fine. But I think that there's many ways we can go about doing this that are more effective, but it seems like efficiency and effectiveness are not top priorities for the federal government. And that goes for Trump's white house and Obama's white house and the Bush white house. Like it just, it's the same story over and over again of 
well, if we need to spend more money, then we need to raise revenue. And I always think like, is there a more efficient way to go about doing this, right? With Biden's infrastructure plan, I can kind of see the value in that. But I also, one of the things that disgusts me is when more money is raised, when revenue is increased for the federal government and nothing really changes. So we've increased revenue for the federal government, right? Which tax is, you know, the cost of living in the kind of society that we want to live in in a safer society, which it doesn't feel that way right now, but objectively it is a safer society than it was 30 years ago. When we look at this, why, why is effectiveness and efficiency not primary when it comes to where spending is going? Why is no one running on decreasing government spending overall? Right. I mean, you could say Trump didn't decrease spending. Def the deficit wasn't an issue when Trump was president because Republicans wouldn't speak out against Trump and his ridiculous spending. Very rarely, I think Lindsey Graham said he was spending like a drunken sailor one time, which makes sense. But like, it's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around how little efficiency and effectiveness are are part of the conversation. And I think that's the really big problem here. On top of the fact that these like figurehead rich people. That, that people like AOC want to target are not the ones that are actually going to be paying this price. And we have to be really mindful of the unintended consequences of things like this. And you'll very rarely hear me say that about things like tax. I think people that get really butthurt about taxes are generally crybabies. But when we look at it, I think that there's a place to understand that there is... There, there used to be a reality where things like trickle-down economics made sense when small businesses were more valued. But right now you have companies like Amazon and Walmart just raping the shit out of small businesses and medium-sized businesses and destroying them. And so things have to change to accommodate that. So we're in a really complex shift as a society. And I think we're kind of stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out a way to make it make sense for everybody and, and a way to, you know, and this is why I was such a, a, an avid Bernie Sanders supporters because I saw his plans as using a very powerful capitalist engine to fuel social change and positive change. And I think that's, the, that's where we need to get to because right now we have a very productive workforce, the most productive workforce ever. Okay, more people can get more done in less time and that continues to trend in that direction. This isn't like the Henry Ford Rockefeller reality where somebody created the assembly line and was able to produce more and, you know, employ more people. Like we have a very different society now and we need to adjust, adjust to that. But we're in a really clunky time right now. And like I said, I'm not an economist, but I do care about these kind of things and like to look at the consequences of actions like this. And as somebody who's kind of this like mix between a libertarian and socialist, um, this this does concern me a little bit, but we'll see how it all pans out and we'll see what the actual actual revenue is, is uh, how it changes due to something like this. But I just don't see it being a very substantive difference. And but there's only one way we're going to find out, right? We'll see. Good news, everybody. You can now go outside without a mask as long as you're vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pre President Joe Biden posts this to Instagram. He says, fully vaccinated people can go outdoors without a mask. Oh, thank you so much, President Biden. I appreciate your permission to go outside my home without a mask. Since we've known for like a year that this stuff does not transmit outside and that just a little bit of wind and a little sunlight is a great way to prevent from getting COVID. But science be damned. 
now it's okay. Now it's okay. So let's look at the rules. We have a post here from this this account that I follow called uh, Unbiased Science Pod, which, by the way, is very biased. So that's a kind of a comical name there. Um, we have right here, outdoor activity. Exercise outdoors with members of your household. Fully vaccinated people and unvaccinated people can both do so without a mask. Attend a small outdoor gathering with fully vaccinated family or friends. Uh, fully vaccinated people and unvaccinated people can go without a mask. Attend a small outdoor gathering with a mix of vaccinated and unvaccinated family and friends. Um, if you're vaccinated, you can go without a mask. If you're unvaccinated, you must still wear your mask at a small outdoor gathering if there's a mix of vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Um, dine outdoors at a restaurant with friends from multiple households. If you're vaccinated, you can wear, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you're unvaccinated, you have to wear a mask, but not while you're sitting at the table. If you're dining outdoors and you're doing the thing, just as long as you stand up and if you're walking around, walking to the bathroom, doing whatever it is, maybe getting a drink at the bar, you have to wear a mask for those things. But when you sit down, COVID is lazy. So it doesn't actually want to get, it doesn't want to move much from when you, from your seated position. So if you're, as long as you're sitting down and talking to people closely, COVID doesn't really want to mess with it. It respects that time. It respects that intimate time that you have with other people. But once you're up and moving around, all bets are off. COVID's back on the wild train. All right. And if you're um, attending a large crowded outdoor event, such as a parade, a sporting event, mostly peaceful protest or concert, uh, you need to wear a mask even if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated because I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Why? why if, if the fucking vaccine works. It seems like no one who has gotten the vaccine has died of COVID or been hospitalized with COVID. I've, that, that's what they say. But there's some mysterious ghost strains that are going to come in and, and I don't know, do some different things. We're going to go full War War Z on this thing. So that's the rules. That's that's where we're at. That that's the regulations. That's what that's what the uh, professionals are are um, you know really uh, pushing here. Now, if you I don't understand if you. If you don't wear a mask outside and you're vaccinated, right? If you're vaccinated and you don't wear a mask outside, how will people know what political party you're affiliated with? Like you're just going to have to buy a bunch of Biden t-shirts and wear those around outside so people understand where you stand politically. Because it was not real. Wearing masks outside was never about keeping anybody safe. It was about letting everybody know exactly what you think and how you feel and which channels you watch on TV. That's what it's 100% about. Now, what Tucker Carlson said the other day about you know where kids wearing masks outside being akin to child abuse is also really silly and quite hyperbolic, but it's not that much more silly than this. Like, dude, wearing a mask outside has been silly from the get-go, okay? From the get-go. People walking their dogs by themselves, not around anyone, wearing a mask. What is that about? Do you think COVID is just floating around like falling out of the fucking trees? You think you're going to give the trees COVID? Like, what is your dog? Is your, do you think your dog may be infected so you need to put a mask on to be around your dog? This is just the weirdest thing ever. Like, this is this is so far away. I just love how there was a time, and I think I've talked about this on the show, but there was a time when I would make fun of Republicans for science denial. I would make fun of Republicans for science denial when it came to climate change or just tons of things, tons of stuff. Now, it's like the, the, the science denial is evenly spread between the two political parties. It's like, it's like the Democrats were jealous of the amount of science denial that was going on in the Republican Party. So they're like, we want to deny some science too. Let's find some different science to deny. How about we start with biology? 
<laughs> we'll talk about, they might be able to deny some just like epidemiology or some immunology. This is just it's it's so comical to watch the just the unraveling of this shit, and it's doing nothing but pissing people off, right? Doing nothing at all but just upsetting people. And of course, this is a little bit of a slow week when it came to news, so I wanted to pull some of this stuff out. But when this came up, this popped up on my feed at the very top. Instagram was like, you got to see this. <laughs> Joe Biden said you can wear a mask outside as long as you're vaccinated. It's like, guys, everybody, can we just, and this is the thing. Here's the thing. I don't care what you put in your body. You can do pain pills, you can get vaccines, you can do heroin, you can do cocaine. I don't give a shit what you put in your body. It just does not matter to me. I prefer people don't get addicted to heroin, but it's not my responsibility to tell somebody what to do or how to live their life. Okay, you can maybe people have a healthy relationship with heroin. I don't know. I can't see it being any worse than Oxycontin as long as it's pure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's just what are we doing? Right, So I just don't care. I don't care what people put in their bodies. I don't care if you got the vaccine or if you didn't get the vaccine. I talk a little shit here and there, of course. Yes, I do. All I'm asking for, and I think this goes for a lot of people in the politically homeless camp, all that we, I'm going to speak for all of us, all that we are asking for here is to not be villainized for our health choices. Not be villainized for our health choices. If we're going to start villainizing people for our health cho- for health choices, we should start just fat shaming everyone. Because if you can anti-vax shame me, even though I'm not anti-vax, by no means. My children will get vaccines on a schedule, all planned out. We talked about it a bunch. Have a whole plan, right? But if you can anti-vax shame me, then I should be able to fat shame you. If I see someone drinking a Coca-Cola... Full sugar, high fructose corn syrup, right to the gullet, right down the fat face. I should be able to say, hey, fatty. Hey, fatty. Put the Coke down. Can I do that? Can I say, hey, lard ass. Maybe rethink your life choices. No, but if you're walking around D.C. with a mask off outside, you're going to get verbally assaulted. How much sense does that make? So maybe that's the thing. And I also propose this. Maybe we should quit calling obese people obese. Maybe that's what we do because I don't want anybody to be fat shamed. I think we should just call anybody who's obese um, high risk. Let's just move on to calling them high risk. This high risk Bob over here. High risk Bob needs to reevaluate his life and get to the gym. We could do that. That makes sense, right? Because if we're going to plan, if we're going to make it all fair, right? If you can just, if you have the right to verbally assault me for not wearing a mask outside or anywhere for that matter, then you, everybody has the right to just yell at people that are unhealthy in their life choices. Maybe somebody who's smoking a cigarette, right? In their car by themselves, not bothering anybody. Say, hey, Tarlung, you're a piece of shit. Does that make sense to anybody? Is that, does that seem fair to anybody? No? Huh. It's, see, it's weird how this whole thing has shifted, right? It's weird how like civil liberties have slowly started to just erode, you know? And it's like, oh, I I already hate, I'm going to assume that anybody who doesn't want to wear a mask or doesn't want to get a vaccine is a Republican. So I can put them in the camp of evil racists. So anything that I want to say to them is justified because I have been told by Rachel Maddow that they are evil. Even though I'm not a Trump supporter, I voted for Biden. I'm not a Republican at all. I'm politically homeless. I host a fucking podcast. I have the trademark, baby. (laughs) It's super fucking official that I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. 
but I can be assumed in that camp because I'm white and I don't want to get a vaccine. And that now qualifies me for the group of people that anybody who has complied can now give shit on the street or give a hard time or call a science denier as if that makes any goddamn sense at all. So let's just make it the way the world is. We'll just bring back verbally assaulting people who make bad health choices based on your own subjective opinion. Your own, your, let's just put this out there too. Your opinion matters the most. Not the science, not the data, not the information, not the fact that most people do seven things a day that are more dangerous than COVID and no one says a goddamn thing about it. But now your subjective opinion is fact. Your opinion wins. Just depending on if you watch MSNBC or Fox, your opinion, either one of you motherfuckers, is now fact. Because we look at all these things as if both sides of the argument don't have valid points, right? You talk about getting to herd immunity from the left. Well, you need 80% of people vaccinated. Well, that doesn't count the millions and millions of people who've already had COVID, who have natural immunity, right? Like I've said numerous times, I'd rather, I'd rather just get COVID than get the vaccine. I'll get COVID, I'll stay at my house for two weeks, and I'll do it that way, the same way I treat the flu, Right, We got kids wearing masks on the playground, which we didn't do during flu season, even though flu season flu kills more kids, especially infants, than COVID does. And, the, you know, it's, it's about risk at the end of the day. Is it, is, it, is it about anything more than risk at the end of the day? You take a risk taking the vaccine, you take a risk not taking the vaccine. If you don't want to accept that, then you're delusional because there are risks associated. It is what it is. So if we want to normalize shaming people publicly for their health choices, then we'll just, we can just start fat shaming because that is a strain on our economy. It's a strain on our healthcare system. All of us pay higher insurance premiums because of it. All of us pay higher pharmaceutical prices because of it because of smokers and obese people. So if we're going to focus our energy somewhere, wouldn't it be there? Wouldn't it be there? Not because I said, well, I spent the last 20 years of my life really dedicated to being healthy and eating right and getting enough sleep and getting vitamin D and working out and making sure my lung capacity is good, making sure I've got a strong physical body because I want to I use this body as much as I can for my whole life. That's been a high priority for me since I was 16. When I started to realize the changes that could happen when I went from being an obese kid to being relatively fit and cha- turned my life around as a, as, a, as a young man. So I've been focused on this for a long time, but now you get to shame me for my health choices. And it's like, well, it's, it's not about you. It's about protecting other people. I don't need to hear that. That doesn't make any sense because if your fucking vaccine works, then to get it, if you want it, get it. I've been saying this for months. Whoever wants the thing should get the thing. And we shouldn't have even had this tiered approach. You should have said, whoever wants it, get it. No appointment necessary. Line the fuck up. Let's go. But the idea that it's going to be normalized to shame people for their health behaviors is a slippery slope and is dangerous. And you do not want to see what that will turn into because it will not be fun for anybody. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of Element, L-M-N-T. 
because it's trendy. Listen, you need to stay hydrated, and you need a little magnesium up in yourself, okay? And you need those electrolytes to keep you nice and sustained as you go through living this crazy life. If you like to work out, if you like to get outside, if you're eating paleo or carnivore or keto, you need electrolytes. If you sweat your ass off, it's getting summertime, baby. We're about to be able to go outside without masks on. You can swing some kettlebells outside. You can bust some weights. You can go on a hike. If you're a backcountry hunter like me, you're about to be in the backcountry doing scouting trips and sweating your ass off while it's 90 degrees on a mountaintop without any air because you're at 14,000 feet elevation. Right? These are all important things that we do with our lives and we need to take care of ourselves. And that's why I love Element. And it just tastes good. And there's no sugar in it because sugar is overrated. It's terrible for you. Why would you do that to yourself? Don't do that to yourself. Don't. You're better than that. We're all better than that. And here's the thing. This politically homeless community might turn into a violent militia one day. And I'm going to need you healthy and hydrated if we're going to defend ourselves against Antifa or the the fascists. Whoever ends up winning will be will have to be like protected. And I don't need you thirsty out there. I don't need you just not taken care of. Take care of yourself now so that when that inevitably happens, you're going to be good. Go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders, or better yet, just click the link in my show notes. Get your variety pack. Just cover shipping. It's five bucks, and then add on the watermelon flavor, which is the best. They rolled out that watermelon flavor for summer. I recommend take a pack of the watermelon, a pack of the lemon salt, and mix that into a big mason jar with some ice, and then pour tequila in there to taste. Take that to the park. Take that. Take that. Take that to your outings. Whatever it is, it's like a better version of some kind of like uh, White Claw, right? You can get White Claw and be like a basic bitch, or you can make a homemade cocktail that's delicious and better for you, and will keep you more hydrated and less hungover which will also help whenever we have to perform the violent militia. We've been over this. Anyways, drinkelement.com slash wanders. Click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, Joe Rogan is a little, in a little bit of hot water here. We got um, on his show with David Smith. He talked about the vaccine. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're just going to keep ranting about this. Um, Joe Rogan talked about the vaccine on his podcast and what he thinks about it, which is a very popular, I think would probably be the most popular opinion about this whole thing. If you could pick one kind of like narrative that most people can get on board with, which is, yeah, you're probably going to be fine if you get it, which is true. You're probably going to be okay if you get the thing. Maybe not, but probably, right? And also, if you're young you really and healthy, you don't really have much to worry about here. And people will say, oh, but this one person, oh, but this thing. It's like, yeah, okay, well, like, okay, who cares? Like, that's that's this part of life, right? Like, more young people, kids, are hurt or killed on playgrounds than are with COVID, so should we just outlaw playgrounds? I mean, they're pretty much outlawed right now anyways because of the COVID restrictions, especially if you're in California. But generally speaking, it's like, what is what is this? And now here's what Joe Rogan had to say about the thing. And people say, do you think it's safe to get vaccinated? I've said, yeah, I think for the most part, it's safe to get vaccinated. I do. I do. But if you're like 21 years old and you say to me, should I get vaccinated? I, I go, no. Yeah. Are you healthy? Are you a healthy person? Like, look, don't do anything stupid, but you should take care of yourself. You yeah. should, if you're, if you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well, and like, I don't think you need to worry about this. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. But there's a uh, lot of jobs and people. There are some words to live by right there. Don't do anything stupid and take care of yourself. But then Fauci jumps in and says, uh, he was on the Today Show and says, uh, you're talking about yourself in a vacuum. You're worried about yourself getting infected and the likelihood that, likelihood that you're not going to get symptoms, Fauci said. But you can get infected and will get infected if you put yourself at risk. Does anybody give a shit what Fauci has to say anymore? Like, this guy has said something, taken it back. It's like been the most inconsistent. And, of course, you can change your mind, and I appreciate when people change their minds. But at the end of the day, pretending like the most high-risk thing that 21-year-olds have going for them is COVID is super, super silly. Right? We have people, like, you should be talking to 21-year-olds about not drunk driving. Right? Like, there's a lot of different things. Not drinking too much booze. You know, maybe stay away from cocaine for a while. Maybe, like, I don't know, like, use a condom. There's so many things that 21-year-olds need to be thinking about. And I don't think that the, the, the thing that has a .00001 chance of having an adverse effect on them is really where the focus should be. Right? And if you're young and if you're healthy, make the best decision for you and your family. Make the best decision for you and your family. It's that simple. Whatever that seems like to you, because you're an adult. Okay, you can make informed decisions. Look at the information. Maybe don't get it from 4chan. Maybe don't get it from Fox News. Maybe don't get it from CNN. Maybe don't get it from MSNBC. Maybe do a little research. Figure out what's going on. Give it a little bit of time. There's nothing. There's nothing stopping people from just waiting a little while and see what happens. Just wait a little while and see what happens. Is that a problem? Is that is that is that an irrational thing to do? It's like, hey, this is, a lot of this has happened really fast. It's very confusing. Maybe we'll just wait a little while and just see what happens. You know, maybe uh, maybe we'll just see what the case loads are. Maybe whenever states start repealing their mass mandates, if cases go down and deaths go down, and there's just not a lot going on here as far as like the the, the damage that could be caused by this. You know, I'll just I want to have as much information as possible. That's a very rational, logical thing to do. But what people don't want you to do is act with reason and logic on either side, right? On either side. People that are like, the vaccine's going to make your dick fly off and explode. And then there's people like, if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to get COVID and your lungs are going to come out your face, right? So neither one of those, it's fear tactics on both sides. When the rational thing to do is to take a fucking step back, keep your feet on the ground and make the best decision for yourself. And the fact that Joe Rogan's being like, like Fauci, fuck off, dude. Like you said, don't no mask. You've lied numerous times. You were full of shit during the HIV crisis, which people seem to somehow have forgotten. You have no dissent. There's nobody in the administration that disagrees with him. We don't get to have public debates from people that are very well informed, people on the same level, I guess, as Fauci. We don't get to have any kind of conversation. That's actually the topic of something to think about, right? It's how weak it is. It's so weak to have somebody like Fauci running the narrative without any conflict, without any disagreement, without with him just being the, 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 the czar of our health. When there's plenty of people who have different takes, different ideas, different interpretations of the data, because you can interpret data in different ways based on your cognitive bias. But we don't have those kind of discussions. We should be having people like Fauci having discussions, but he turns down every single opportunity. Every opportunity he has to defend his regulations, his advice, with someone who is of the same caliber as he is in the same field, he turns it down because he's a fucking coward. There's no other excuse. If you're that confident in your evidence and your data and your interpretation, then back it the fuck up, my friend. Back it up. Get challenged. 
And we all know, right? What kind of, if you, people in your own life, in your own personal circle, right? People that don't want to be disagreed with, don't want to be challenged, have really strong ideas and want to tell people what to do, but don't want to take any feedback. What do you say about those people in your own personal life? And then why would it be different for somebody who's telling you how to live your life because they have a certain degree or a certain amount of experience? Well, let me tell you something. A lot of people have that degree. A lot of people have the same degrees from the same schools and have the same type of experience doing the same type of work and have different opinions and different interpretations of the data. And we're seeing that over and over again. And the fact that the government runs so slow that it's just now we're like going outside unvaccinated without a mask, all this other shit, like... People knew that. That was that was hard. There was hard evidence to support that months and months ago. And the fact that we don't take into account mental health consequences for any of this stuff. Like that's a big focus of mine is just like general mental well-being. And we don't take that into account with any of this stuff or or how you know, Joe Rogan has a big influence and, and there were some people that I actually kind of respect that are progressives on YouTube and things that were, that were diving in and kind of ripping up apart. And, and, um, it's just like, guys, we're all entitled to our own opinion. And these people, like Joe Rogan's not ill-informed. <laughs> I'm not ill-informed. This is what we do. We like look into this shit. And if you, if you want to sit here and tell me that it all adds up and makes perfect sense, I don't know where you're getting that information from unless you're only getting it from one source. And if, you're t- if it's from Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, how much of their ad revenue comes from pharmaceutical companies? How much? A ton of it. They sell you reverse mortgages and pharmaceutical drugs. That's what mainstream media does. And to think that you're going to get accurate information from any of those outlets is just a comical thought. It's a comical thought. So... To see this, and this is a great podcast, by the way, really fun, and, and, and David Smith is a really like libertarian-leaning comedian, and it's fun to hear these kind of people discuss ideas. And there's a lot of common ground that can be found, especially for people that are on the, on the real left, right? Like real liberals, not these fucking bullshit liberals that we deal with now, but like real liberals and libertarians have a lot of common ground, actually. A lot of it's around freedom and liberty and freedom of speech and things like that and how you want to handle uh, the marketplace and the free market. Like there's debates that can be had there. But I love hearing people like that speak about freedom. It's fun. It's, it, it makes, it reminds us, it's important to have reminders. It's important to have reminders of how things used to be, right? Before all of this. Because we get acclimated to things so fast. It's part of human nature. We get acclimated to different environments very quickly, and so we've seen that happen now. And, and you look to the comments of, of these posts, you know, that, that, are, that are critical of, of anybody saying like, you know, oh, we can wear masks outside now if you're vaccinated. It's like, what, how are we going to know if people are vaccinated or not vaccinated? I'm scared now. It's like somebody who's thinking that way and in that kind of like logical loophole has, I'm not going to say they have like a mental illness. That's, that's absurd to say. But it's like that they've been accustomed now to, a, to an environment of fear. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy. I mean, if you're not, Jamie Wheel has a really great book called Becoming Superman. Um, and it talks about how to achieve a flow state, you need to be, I think it was like 3% outside of your level of expertise, right? So if you're skateboarding or, or, or you know, doing motocross or some kind of an extreme event, a skydiving, things like that. And you talk to people that do really extreme things like squirrel suits and shit like that, base jumping, extreme sports. 
And they did, they, they studied the neurochemistry and it's like the, your mind thrives in a little bit of risk. Not so much that you're like really endangering your life if you're a normal person, but your neurochemistry thrives with a little bit of risk. And the, this nerfing down of society and this softening of American culture has become incredibly detrimental because how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? If you're super scared to be around other people because somebody might've made a different health decision than you, like that's going to bleed into your other relationships. It's going to bleed into the way that you treat people. It's going to disconnect you from having an empathetic connection with people that have a different idea than you, which is incredibly important for living a fulfilling life. And without that level of empathy, like we've, 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 it's like, it's like the government set on a, on a journey to like flip everybody's empathy switch off. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I haven't been guilty of it because I definitely have of being hypercritical and hyperbolic and frustrated and taking that out. And I try and check myself on it now, but it's hard. And, 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 you know, maybe I defend Joe Rogan and I'm definitely biased here. And I like to point out my own bias. I'm biased, right? Cause I love those conversations and I think it's fun. And the dude influenced me in a lot of different ways. And here I am doing the podcast thing and I've been doing it for a long time. And that wouldn't have happened without somebody like Joe Rogan getting on a microphone and shooting the shit. But nobody else had Bernie Sanders on, right? Nobody else had Tulsi Gabbard on in the way that he did and, and, and gave them a voice to, to let them hear their thoughts and challenge them in ways that were constructive. And nobody else has had the number of people that are informed on the issues, right? When this was first happening, you was having mainstream scientists and uh, mainstream immune, uh, epidemiologists on here on his show. So, like, the criticism, is, I feel, is unfair, and I also feel like we're in this like knee-jerk, fear-driven, reactionary state all the time. And it's disconnected us from one another. And it's only further perpetuating the divide that was kind of driven by first Obama unintentionally and then by Trump intentionally. And now we have this. And, and at the end of the day, I think Americans are kind of tired of a president, which is why Joe Biden got elected. I think they're just tired of a president. And it's like, dude, with this, the president, we're all like exhausted of presidents. Right now, you know, that's why MSNBC and CNN, all these companies, these, these, these outlets are, their ratings are going to shit. It's for people are just exhausted of it, you know, and, and then they're going to take these people on like, fucking left wing media are going to take one clip of Rogan and be outraged and share it around and try and, you know, try, maybe try to cancel the dude again, which is, in, it's a silly idea, but you have a person here who calls out grifters. Right, he's called out Dave Rubin not by name. I think he's kind of called out Candace Owens too, and we see we're seeing a lot of that, and, and it's really strange, the kind of like backlash, quote unquote backlash, this created. But at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter because that stance is incredibly popular and incredibly rational, and just not dangerous. It's just not a dangerous position to have. And now for a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Follow-up study finds a single dose of one drug can ease anxiety and depression for five years. What is that? Is that SSRI? Is it Percocet? Is it weed? Participants rated it among the most personally meaningful and spiritually significant experiences of their lives according to the study. 
A 2016 study found that one time single dose of psilocybin offered rapid improvements in the levels of anxiety, depression, and dread of death in cancer patients with con- when, con- when combined with psychotherapy. A follow-up study four and a half years later indicated substantial, long-lasting effects from the treatment. Psilocybin, a compound found in psychedelic mushrooms, can affect mood and perception to regulate arousal and panic responses. If there is anything that this world needs... Right now, it's a fuck ton of mushrooms. Mushrooms are something that fundamentally changed my life. I feel very personally connected to this story. And I've, this, is, this isn't new information necessarily. The, the, the follow-up study um, was done recently. But the initial studies, and what they did was they their stage one clinical trials with MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, did this study with people that were near death. So people that had terminal illness and they gave them a large dose of psychedelics and combined or of psilocybin combined with psychotherapy to help them cope with the end of their life. And the, the effects were absolutely astounding and people became more, more comfortable with the concept of death. And a lot of times when you have a psychedelic experience, especially with psilocybin, whatever is close and like kind of heavy on your heart will come up. And that, of course, if you're, if you have a terminal illness, like death is going to be weighing pretty heavy on you. And what people reported was that they were able to connect with their families, um, more so towards the end of life when things can get really hectic and, and take a sense of peace into the end of their life, which is just incredibly beautiful, especially in a society where we're so attached to like stretching life out as long as possible easing anxiety around death is can be just a beautiful experience in its own and the, the how finite life is in itself is just this beautiful mystery alone but being able to cope with that i think is really really profound and even myself like having had numerous uh, psilocybin experiences of varying levels have have, have a, a different perception when I, the way I look at life and death as well, but also the way that I look at interpersonal communication and, and how I see people and how I recognize people and how I show up in the world. And every now and then, you know, about every year will want to do a big dose just to get myself kind of like reoriented. And a friend of mine actually explained this to me really well when I did first gotten into doing any kind of psychedelics in my late twenties, um, that it was kind of like back in the day when you would defrag a computer, right? It would take all the, all the crazy messiness of all this data you have and file it away into appropriate folders and clean up your computer. That's kind of what it feels like to do a large dose of something like psilocybin, but they have these really intense studies and they're in stage three clinical trials. So we're getting close to this being a legal intervention in combination with psychotherapy along with MDMA, um, commonly known as ecstasy. So we're seeing a shift in the way that we're treating people. This is not a win for the pharmaceutical companies, which means it's probably a win for everybody else. They are doing everything they can to get in the way of this. But what we're seeing now is more and more information. And COVID kind of ran this over for a while because this is a big story building before COVID happened. But now we have more and more information coming out talking about the power of psilocybin. And I know it seems, you know, I hear a lot of people say like, I don't want to lose control. And I feel you don't have control. First of all, if if, if 2020 showed you anything is that you don't have control over shit. The best thing you can do is adapt to that reality. And that's something that mushrooms are just incredibly powerful at. So seeing this study being pushed out and going and, and flying around just, it really does mean a lot to me. And we're seeing 
more and more normalization of this. And I think especially now, more than ever, in the amount of anxiety and fear and frustration and sheer hatred that we have in the world, God damn, it'd be nice if everybody just did a little bit of mushrooms. I mean, I think personally, my take is that every politician who gets elected to office, even at the state level, should be forced to do the Terrence McKenna method, which means five grams of mushrooms, a heroic dose, five grams of mushrooms in a dark room by yourself, no music, and sort yourself out. Before you start telling people how to live their lives, before you start making policy, before you start deciding to blow people up on the other side of the planet with remote control airplanes... Do five grams of mushrooms by yourself with no music in a dark room and confront yourself in that way. And confronting yourself in that way is one of the scariest and most profound experiences that you will ever have in your entire life. This is not health uh, recommendations because I'm not a doctor or a psychologist. I'm just speaking subjectively here in my own personal experience, but Really cool to see this. To see these studies keep moving. I'm glad that while everything's going on, they're keeping these studies moving. This would be do so much for troops coming home with PTSD, anybody who has PTSD or really deep-seated trauma in their life. This could be really beautiful for them. And seeing that they did these follow-up studies four and a half years later and people are still feeling the effects of decreased anxiety and have had what they most people rank as their number one um, spiritual or, um, what am I trying to say here, spiritual or transcendent experience. The number one most transcendent experience in their life is coming from these experiences. And and having having done this in a variety of different ways, having someone there who understands the 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 methodology, understands human psychology and can and guide you through the experience only makes it better. It may, there's a safety to that and I think using this in combination with with a, a psychotherapy would do so much to heal the wounds that we have in our society. And, and those wounds now are so obvious. And I'm getting a little woo-woo, I understand that. But like we have a lot of inherited trauma in our, in our society, plain and simple. And the methods that we have to cope with those are ineffective. Painkillers do it, heroin does it. People do it through different methods, right, all the time. Oh, too, smoking too much weed, whatever it could be. Right, these numbing agents that are normalized in our life, SSRIs, things like that. And we don't ever value or don't ever place on a pedestal the real work that can rewire your perception of reality, shift the lens in which you see the world through. And those things have lasting lasting effects on not only you, but the people you surround yourself with. I saw this personally with my relationship with my mom, which was really challenging for many, many years. And honestly have mushrooms to thank for helping me reestablish that relationship. And she even acknowledges that, that I became a very different person, a more compassionate and empathetic person. I know that may be a surprise to some of you out there, but it, there's a, there's a beauty to it and there's a, a challenge. There's a, there's a difficulty to it and it, it can be so much, but th- th- it pays off in dividends and having this as a normalized part of our society, I think would do so much to just heal these wounds that we have um, as a nation. So I'm really proud to see this 
see this continue to move. I'm really proud to see it um, on something like the Hill. I hope it gets more attention, more traction. This is the kind of stuff that I feel like we should be talking about instead of how much we hate the orange man or how Biden can't make make words good. Like any of this other bullshit that's just more divisive rhetoric. I think bringing this into our society and 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 leveraging this to heal the most broken parts of our society could be so so impactful. And it would start slow and start small, but I think over time this could be so good for our society and I hope I hope I hope It goes in that direction. All right, we got one more story before we get to something to think about. And this one, this is a tough one, y'all. This is is something that really upset me. And and I share this on my stories if you follow me on Instagram, but I wanted to get into it here uh, for a broader audience just because I think this is important to see what people that are grifting and race baiting um, out in social media are are finding acceptable and how they're finding attention to kind of fuel their grift. So this is not a post that was from um, Tariq Nasheed. It says race baiting Tariq Nasheed's viral post backfires. So you see a you see the video here or a still here of of a guy behind um, at a Holiday Inn behind the desk, and it says a, ho- a white Holiday Inn Express worker has a nervous breakdown after he got scolded by a black customer because of a mistake in the reservation system. So notice there, it's not a Holiday Inn Express worker. It's a white Holiday Inn Express worker and a black customer. Okay, now we're going to see this video. I'm going to play this video for you. Again, it's really hard to watch. So this went viral. Somebody sent it to me. And somebody who is um, who, who has Asperger's sent this to me and said, hey, like, I know a, 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 a an autism meltdown when I see one. Um, come to find out it wasn't actually autism. There's some other issues we're going to get into. But I want everybody to see this just because the way this was positioned was clear race baiting. And I think that, you know what, let's just let's let's watch it and then we'll, we'll discuss. Because you all made a mistake. Not really, no. So you want to get mad and hit the computer because you made a mistake? Because your company made a mistake? You want to take it out on me? I'm not taking it out on you. So why did you get mad and hit the computer? Why did you get mad and hit the computer? Because I have I'm sure you're on camera, right? Yeah, I am. I'm sure you're on camera. So this is the type of people they have working here. Wow. The motherfucker just keeps going too. Just keeps going. So I know that was really hard to watch. Uh, This guy's name is Caleb, and now he actually responded to some posts on Reddit. So this got shared around on Reddit, and he had a chance to respond. He says that prior to the recording, the guest called him a faggot and that he suffers from borderline personality disorder and schizophrenic disorders. He said, right before he started recording, I told him I have mental illness and I need a moment to think before he just kept going and going and going and going before it came too much. Now, you know, we talk a lot about social issues on this show and different things, but you know, white, black, critical race theory, whatever, whatever it is that you want to believe, right? Whatever it is that, 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 that you need to believe about racism or injustice or systemic injustice or systemic racism in America, believe what you need to believe. But there is one thing that we should be united on, and that is people that have cognitive disorders trying to do their job 
should not be harassed regardless of what fucking color you are. It doesn't fucking matter. This guy is working, looks like he's working nights at a Holiday Inn Express, clearly suffers from some kind of mental illness and had said so to this motherfucker who thought it would be a good idea to harass the guy and put him on film. What kind of fucking scumbag? What kind of fucking scumbag does that? And Tariq, this grifter motherfucker, is going to share it and be proud of it on his social media over his Twitter to his hundreds of thousands of followers? Really, pussy? Really, that's what you want to do. That's how you're going to treat people. That's how you're going to treat people who have a mental illness who are doing some work. That's how it's going to go. If I like it's, Situations like this, I just wish I would have been there. Because I'm kind of an asshole. And I would never watch this happen. I don't know who else was there or who else could have seen this happen. But when I shared this, I was honestly really heartened by the response. Because people were so upset. And it's just, it ruined people's day to see this. To see someone treat another human being like this. Especially somebody who struggles. Call him a faggot. And then he tells you he has mental, uh, 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 mental issues and he needs, he needs a moment to think. And you can't put two and two together. That this kid's doing the best he can. We've all been in that situation, right? Where you're, you're working at the grocery store or something like that. And clearly somebody who's like helping you maybe is, is autistic or has something going on. And you're just, just be a little more patient, right? There's not a, nobody out here has not had a reservation at a hotel be fucked up. Nobody has. To think that you're so entitled to not have your fucking reservation messed up at a Holiday Inn Express every now and then is so arrogant. And then to have this shared all over social media, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself, Tariq, for putting this out there. It doesn't matter. I don't give a shit what color you are. You're a fucking scumbag for doing this. There's no other way to go about addressing this but from calling you out for exactly what you are, which is a fucking coward. Real men don't do this kind of shit. Real men lead with some kind of compassion. And we can disagree on what happens in politics and this other bullshit. But one thing we should be together on is that this shit shouldn't happen. And what that man did that was recording was egregious and shameful. There's no way not to have an emotional response to this. There's no way. Like, I can't... it, it, It infuriates me to see somebody treat another human being like this. Especially somebody with a cognitive disorder. If someone, if you, if, if someone's checking you into a, a hotel, and by the way, it wasn't his fault. It was the reservation system, which means the motherfucker behind the camera could be responsible for what happened because he didn't click the right box or some shit. But no, this guy, it's, it's, this guy is being punished for it. If somebody hits the screen of the computer, clearly they have Tourette's or something going on, and it has nothing to do with you. And the fact that you're so narcissistic that you think it's about you. You think that it's about you and you're going to claim this kid is racist. You're going to claim he's racist just because you're black and he's white. Really? That's the way you want to approach this. You race baiting motherfucker. That's the way you want to treat people. That's the way you want to get notoriety. That's the way you want to get your clout on Twitter. What the fuck is wrong with you? I can't stand this kind of shit. I cannot stand it. We can debate whether other things are racist or not racist. Clearly, that wasn't the case here. Clearly not. And to watch a human being who struggles with mental health issues 
who has the courage to go work a job where he interacts with people every day. Can you imagine? Put yourself, have a little bit of empathy and put yourself in his shoes. You, you struggle from a, a, a bipolar disorder or, and, and schizophrenic disorders. And your job is dealing with people all day. In a job role where people are very likely to get upset about with upset with you about things that aren't your fault. In my in my view, that's a pretty courageous move, and I'm proud of the dude for doing it. But to see Tariq Nasheed is the, is the is the biggest perpetrator here for putting this out there and sharing it with everybody, for thinking that this was going to do something for him positive, and he's he's responded, he's defended himself. He didn't say, oh, shit, I fucked up and delete it or apologize. No, he's going to defend himself until it gets taken down for harassment. Those are the kind of people circulating on Twitter gathering followers for race baiting. And you expect these people to be somewhat objective. Give me a fucking break. This is terrible. Shameful. Regardless of your political affiliation, your ideologies, your religion, doesn't matter. There's one thing we should be united on, and it's that shit like this, that people like the person behind this camera and the person that shared it are fucking scumbags. Scumbags. If there's anybody I've seen that needs an ass beating, it's these two men. Men. Like I want to call them men. These two boys. Give me a fucking break. Well, I knew that was going to get heated. <laughs> God damn. I don't like bullies, y'all. I don't like bullies, but I do like to give you something to think about, and I'm going to do that right now. Let's get into it. Right. Got me thinking. I seated this one a little bit earlier in the show. Seated a little bit, but you know, I've worked for a few companies. I've had a few bosses. Um, and, you know, I, I was a pretty decent employee, but I wasn't great. It's dependent on the situation, right? You can, you could probably tell that I'm a little bit of a loud mouth and I've got my ideas and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I rank a little higher than average on the narcissism scale, but in a healthy range used to not be, you know, I kind of had got throat punched by life enough to get, get checked into reality a little bit. But, um, I speak my mind, as you know, and during that time of being a business owner and doing my thing and, and working at different companies, one thing that always I, I always respected and admired about certain leaders and organizations was that they would, and, and Simon Sinek talks about this a lot, but like um, leadership, you, you generally speak last. You hear other opinions. You allow and encourage disagreement, healthy disagreement, healthy criticism, healthy feedback. And leaders and organizations that don't embrace that kind of culture are what I consider weak organizations and weak leaders. And I think what we have now in our public health society is a normalization of that type of culture when it comes to people's health. You know, we talk about Fauci being this kind of like the king of, of, our, of our health decisions, right, which is comical. 
but there's never any dissent within the organization, right? Which I would, I would respect and appreciate, and I think many other people would too, so we can make informed decisions for our own health. But there's a narrative that needs to be stuck to, and it gives this facade of strength. It gives this facade of certainty. But in actuality, if you look at the actions that led to that belief of certainty or led to that ideology, it was actually done in a very weak fashion. And I think that instead of normalizing adherence to a narrative, we should normalize productive disagreement and productive criticism. And now I can say that even the dissenters to the narrative don't go about that in a productive way, often. Very rarely can you find some middle ground. The Patreon is a great place. We have people from all over the political spectrum here. And with that, we have fun dialogue, interactive dialogue, perspectives being shared, healthy disagreements. And when you don't see that, when that is nowhere to be found within an organization or an ideology, there's a reason to question that organization or ideology. So what we can do as a populace is demand critical thinking, demand dissent, demand criticism, demand debate, high, uh, high dialogue, or high-quality dialogue around decisions that are being made, transparency. That's what leaders do. That's what real strong leaders do. They back up their ideas, and they allow themselves to be challenged. Since starting this show, I've changed my mind on several things, some to the right, some to the left, some to the center. (laughs) And that's good. That's growth, and I don't mind owning that. I'm proud of that. And I think as a culture, we need more of that. But it's just something to think about. Love you guys. It's been really fun. I head to Utah tomorrow morning at like 3 or 4. We're leaving. We're leaving early as shit. Get to watch a beautiful Colorado sunrise. Get myself out in the wilderness. Can't wait. Make sure to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and join that motherfucking Patreon. Do it. Keep your head on straight, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.